Right. Well, as we talk about faith and finances, there are four categories of people in the world that, that we could be. This will be up on the screen. There's four categories of people in the world when it comes to faith and finances. And so the first category of people that, that we could be would be the ungodly poor. Someone who's ungodly poor would be an individual who is not following after Christ. They're ungodly. They're not seeking after the Lord. Maybe they didn't grow up in a Christian community. Uh, maybe they were uh, seeming to follow after Christ, but then fell away, steered away a different direction. There are some in the world who are ungodly, and at the same time, fiscally, financially, resource-wise, there's not a ton happening there. Maybe finances are hard because the economy is rough. Maybe the part of the world that they grew up in doesn't have uh, as much material resource right around them. There's some in the world who are ungodly and poor. There's others in the world who are ungodly and rich. Living in the United States, I'd say there's, there's many people here in the United States who would be classified as ungodly rich. Ungodly, again, meaning they're not seeking after Christ, not following after the Lord. Maybe they're living for wealth. Maybe they're living for their riches. Maybe they're living just for personal gain or, or to be famous or to be heard or to be known. But when it comes to finances, they are well off. There are resources there. There's some in the world who are ungodly rich. There's others who are godly and rich. I believe in the United States, there's many who would be in this category as well, being that we're in a church and in America. I'd say there's many in here who are godly and rich, seeking after Christ, loving the Lord. You've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And at the same time, when it comes to the end of the month, things are getting paid for. Maybe you have a car, maybe you have your phone, you have all these different bills, and by the grace of God, you're able to pay for those things. And there's some who are godly and rich. And finally, there's, there's some in the world who are godly and poor, seeking after Christ, loving him with everything. But when it comes to the end of the month, maybe it is tough. Maybe the economy is strapping them, and, and it's just a wrestle month after month. We all grew up in one of these four categories. We witnessed our, our parents or our caretakers kind of living in that category. Maybe we're still in that category, but today we're all in one of these four categories. As we look at God's word, we, we got to ask, which category does God call us to be in? Where does God desire for us as his people, as Christians, as Christ followers, where does he call us to be? Does he call us to be godly rich, godly poor? One of those, because those are God honoring, right? And so as we look at God's word and we talk about faith and finances, if we, we look in his word, we see a lot when it comes to finances. And as this topic comes up, we, we ask a lot of questions, right? Does God desire for us to make money? If so, where do we see that in scripture? If so, how much? How much money are we to run after? Does he want us to pursue resources and gain? Does God want us to save our money? If so, how much does God want us to save? Does he want us to be big savers or be big spenders? If we're spending to bless other people and not saving much, does it just mean we have a lot of faith and a lot of love at the same time for other people? And so if you have no money in your savings account, is that okay? Or is that bad stewardship? Are we allowed to invest in the stock market? Or, or is that too much of a risk? Is that too much tied to a lust of money? Faith and finances can, can bring up a lot. But God calls us to do something with our resources, doesn't he? As we look at his word, he, he commands us to do something with the gifts that we're given or with the gifts that we're earning through our work. 
So as you think about your, your life this morning, maybe as you were growing up or, or even where you're at today, how do you do with finances? How does this topic seem to you? How are you emotionally when you hear finances? Is it scary? Like as you think about finances, it is, is it a scary topic? Because when you do get to the end of the month, it is tight and you, you are like, man, God, are you good? Because I'm trying to be faithful here. And finances might be a scary topic for you because it just seems like things aren't adding up. Maybe this morning as you think about finances, you're excited. Maybe you're in fear a bit because maybe within the last 48 hours within your marriage, you're just butting heads over it, right? There's many marriages that, that have a lot of tension in them over this topic of finances. And so gauge your heart. Where are you at this morning when it comes to finances? Because the direction we're going as we're looking at this old book in Haggai is talking about how do we steward our finances in a godly way? Like if we're going to be people who are seeking after Christ, how do we use what he gives us in a godly way? And so the topic this morning is how to steward your finances in a godly way. We're going to be hitting three points as we look at this text. First, we're going to look at the importance of rejecting the world's economy. What I mean by that is the world's economy would say that, that your hard work is for your money and that money is for your wants. That's what the world's economy would say. And so, so we have to be rejecting the world's economy and instead embracing God's economy. God's economy would say, hey, it's all about his glory. When it comes to what we're given, we're to give it back to him and glorify him with our decisions when it comes to finances. And thirdly, we'll be looking at keeping in step with the Spirit. If we're wanting to be people who are faithful stewards, godly stewards with what he gives us, we need to be keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. And so why does, why does money matter? Why does the, the topic of money matter? Because we interact with it every day. We interact with, with money day in and day out. And at the same time, God does have a design and a plan and instruction for us when it comes to our resources. And so money matters because how we spend our money communicates what or who we love. And if we spend all our money on ourselves and our own wants, that's communicating something about our relationship with God. And so as we look at his word this morning, hopefully we're, we're going to see that if we're going to be people who love him with everything— if we're going to steward all of our lives, it's what we've been talking about all summer long, stewarding all of our life to the glory of God, if we're going to do that, then we have to know what he's saying to us when it comes to finances and the resources that he blesses us with. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to begin to look at Haggai 1 together. And so, Lord, we, we thank you that your, your word is, is a guide. It's a tool in our life. There's much that we are to pull from it and apply through your spirit working. And God, I pray that you'd give us humility all throughout this sermon series that we've been in. God, I pray that you'd give us humility to say, God, we do want to steward our life, not for ourselves, but for you. And so Jesus, be with this time in your word, in your name. Amen. Well, go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to the book of Haggai, if you would. We love having Bibles out at Anthem. Haggai is a tiny book with two chapters. Uh, it comes right after Zephaniah and right before Zechariah. And so if it takes you a minute to find it, 
Me too, right? And so uh, Haggai is a book that was written by an old prophet. Uh, He was rebuking the people of God. The people of God had been in bondage in Babylon for around 70 years. They had returned from Babylon and they had been back in Israel for the last 15, 16 years. And so he's rebuking the people of God here in in this text because the people of God had misplaced priorities. And so with those misplaced priorities in mind, let's see how they were kind of falling into the world's economy to understand what we can do uh, to guard ourselves from jumping into the world's economy as well. And so let's read together the first 11 verses as we look at the way that Israel was living. In verse 1, it says, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I might take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and all their labors. The people of Israel here, were a picture of how the world's economy tends to work. As we look at verse 2, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people, meaning the people of Israel, say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The Lord had commanded the people of Israel to rebuild his house. And now they're getting called out for not doing that. Here's how the world's economy tends to work. The world's economy towards resources towards finance, towards what we get, is based on an attitude. And it's an attitude that says, I work hard so that I can earn that money so I can get what I want. The, the world's attitude when it comes to finances is built on, on building your own kingdom. It's, it's saying, God, your kingdom is going to wait, or, or even if there is a God, your kingdom is going to wait. And what I'm going to do is build my kingdom. The way that the world works says it's all about us. And Haggai the prophet is calling them out because that's what they've been doing. God's called them to build his house, to be the center of their lives, and yet they are caught up in sin, living for their own wants. The world's economy says we do what we want with what we got when we want. And so Israel had this attitude problem, and this attitude problem that they had led to an action problem. And what was their action problem? They weren't rebuilding the temple of the Lord. 16 years before, they had come from Babylon, and they were called to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And the first year, they did great. 
they were building the temple of the Lord to the glory of God. They were walking in obedience. They, they've just gotten out of exile, and they're rebuilding the temple. But then what happens? Conflict comes up. There's resistance. It gets difficult. And then they stop. And so for the last 15 years, the, the people of Israel had been working on something else. They weren't working on the house of the Lord. They were working on their own homes rather than honoring God through obedience. And so we see that the people of Israel had given in to the world's economy, saying, you know what? Your resources, your time, your energy, your money, that actually is just for you. So even if God's commanded this thing to rebuild his house, don't worry about it. They were living in sin. That's why in verse 9, it says, My house lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. They were about their own comfort. They were about adorning themselves with, with what they wanted. And what did they get in the end? This ornate home. It says in verse 4, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Look at the language there. Is it time for you to, to dwell? It's as if he's saying you're, you're just sitting back within your homes. You're just dwelling in what you own. And it's not just a home, but it's a paneled home. Scholars would say that that reference is something ornate. They, they had ornate homes that they had built up. And they were sitting back on what God had commanded them to do. And so he's saying to them, what are you guys doing? You're, you're off the mark. You were, you were told 16 years ago to be building my house. But instead, you're building up your own home. Is it a time for you to dwell in your paneled houses while my house lies in ruins. The world's economy says, get your resources, build your house, and build your kingdom. And what does God say to Israel there? What does he say to us? In verse five, he says, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, which means you've worked the ground a whole bunch, and you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You, you clothe yourselves, but nobody's warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. What, what's the author communicating here? He's saying, consider your ways. Look at how you're living. Yeah, you're working hard. You're getting all this income. But there's no satisfaction in it. You guys are eating all this food, but you're not getting filled up. You're drinking all this drink, but you're not happy. You're getting all those clothes, all your like 15, 16 parkas, and you're still cold. And you got this bag. And you keep putting your money in it, but it's got holes in it. It's a picture of, of them not finding satisfaction in their efforts. The people of Israel were off the mark. And so Haggai is warning the people of Israel, you're building your kingdom and look where it's led you. He's saying your pursuit of wealth, your pursuit of self-happiness, your pursuit of your kingdom is actually a lure. It's a lie and it's leading you to a place of emptiness. It doesn't sound too different than the American dream, right? Up on the screen will be a slide that kind of shows the reality of the American dream. The American dream says, hey, if you, if you get a job, you get a car, you get a spouse, you get a house, you get a family, you get friends, and then maybe you get a nice like white picket fence to go around your house to protect all of it, then you're going to be happy. The American dream says, you're going to be happy if you get this stuff. 
If you, if you have that paneled houses, that ornate life, you're going to be content then. That's where the joy is going to be. Well, we live in a very well-off country. And as we look at this, would many people in our country say, yeah, this is a really dreamy life? So I think as I interact with people, a lot of times they're saying, yeah, I just, I just don't really like this about my car. I just wish my spouse would be a little different. I wish I would be a little different. I just, I got all this stuff, but my friends keep backstabbing me. Or it was all going so well until... I think there's a reason why we live in this comfort culture, yet at the same time, so many people are so dissatisfied and in counseling saying, I need help, I need help, I need help. And yes, sometimes we really do need help, and that's a good place to be in. But if we live in this great country with all this dreamy stuff, shouldn't there be more satisfaction when we talk to our coworkers? Shouldn't there be more satisfaction when we're in the classroom? Shouldn't professors be a little bit more optimistic? What's the lure of the American dream? It says, hey, if you work hard, you get your stuff, you get your kingdom, it's gonna be good. But the reality of the American dream is actually that it all leads to you just wanting more. It leads to you wanting to, to have some changes. Oh, I'd just be a little bit better if this. And so the people of Israel were caught up in this place. We can see it in verses nine to 11 where it led them. Verse nine, it says, you looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, God says, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man, beast, on all their labors, on everything. He's saying, I, I have drought for you. You pursue that, you pursue that dream, it's actually gonna lead to drought. When we live according to the world's economy, when we feed our flesh and build our kingdom up, it actually leads to drought. It leads to drought when we live for the American dream alone. You can keep going for it, but if you get there, you're going to run into drought if that's all you're trying to build your life on. It's the same message that they were hearing. It leads to drought. Ecclesiastes Solomon says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth and his income. This also is vanity. The pursuit of money doesn't satisfy. The income that you're hoping for, it's not going to satisfy Jesus in Matthew says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We, we see Jesus speaking on this in the same way. We see Paul interacting with Timothy, warning him in the final chapter of 1 Timothy. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I, I think we all know people in our life that we've seen maybe get that really good job and then all of a sudden it's like, man, we're not like, you're not reaching out so much anymore. And I haven't seen you at church. Like, what's been going on? And, and it can be exciting when we get a pay raise. It can be exciting when we're starting to get more vacation time and get to do what we want. But it also can get us off track if... That's what our focus becomes. And so God's speaking through this prophet saying, consider your ways. Think about how you're living. As a part of being godly stewards when it comes to our resources, our finances, is rejecting the world's economy. The world's economy that's saying, hey, it's all about you. Your hard work, 
for your income, for your life and your happiness. We can't base our life on that. So we have to consider our ways. Reflect on your attitude. What what has been your attitude with your resources? Reflect on your actions. What's your follow-up from your attitude? What decisions do you make? Are are they God-honoring or are they just self-glorifying? Where are you at with your attitudes and your actions? Is money the king of your heart, right? We're saying king of my heart this morning. Is money something that's been the king of your heart? Is that what you've been running after? Or maybe you'd say no. I actually just want it to be at peace at home with finances. And maybe money's been a place of worry and you haven't been trusting God. That's part of the world's economy too. Say, you got to have this much in your bank account or else. God calls us to reject how the world thinks and to embrace his way. And so let's look at verses seven and eight again and look at this second rhythm of living in a godly way with our finances. And it's embracing God's economy. Verse Seven, this is the second time the prophet is saying to consider your ways. Verse seven, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I might take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. The way that Old Testament believers, the way that the people of Israel interacted with God was very much centered around the temple. And when he called them to build his house, He was just inviting them to continue their fellowship with God. And so as they chose to say no in building that temple, they also were choosing to say no in interacting with God. The temple was the centerpiece. The temple is where the sacrifices were, where the offerings were. And the lack of temple work in Haggai proves that they weren't worried at all about their relationship with God. But even so, what is God's grace God's grace is that he offers them this invitation still in verses 7 and 8. They've been living that way for 15, 16 years. But what does he say? Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways and go up to the hills and bring the wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. We see him inviting them back even though they've been living for their own pleasure for the last 15 years. That's God's grace to them, and that's God's grace for us. Israel's remnant, which was the the group of people who survived exile and came back to Israel, they were invited into a bigger story than live for yourself. They were invited into a bigger story than have a nice house, a bigger story than these ornate paneled houses. They were invited to build the house of the Lord, to be in fellowship with him. When it comes to our finances, our resources, what we've been gifted and what we're earning, how do we embrace God's economy? We see that God's economy is about God's glory. God's economy works in that he's created us so that we would glorify him. God's economy says that as you live your life, live to the glory of God. And so we've got to reject what the world is saying of, hey, it's all about you, and be reoriented and say, ah, it's all about God and centering ourselves on him. God is getting glory as we steward our finances for his glory. We see this happening in verse 12. The, the people of Israel heard the prophet and they started to live differently. Verse 12, then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all of the remnant of the people, 
obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord their God. Israel ended their 15-year self-centered pursuit. They, they heard this word from Haggai. They, they probably got humbled by it. Like, man, you just called us out. And they began to act differently. They started to fear the Lord. And as they started to fear the Lord, they were obeying the Lord. They were walking in obedience to the building of the house. And what does that lead to? We can see in verse 13. What does it lead to when we surrender to the Lord and his economy of glory? Verse 13, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And he said, I am with you, declares the Lord. As they're building the temple, the centerpiece of their faith, the representation of their interacting with God, they start that work. And God says in verse 13, I am with you. They walk in obedience. They, they start to center their lives on the Lord again. And he says, I'm with you. We experience the Lord as we have that surrender in our life. When it comes to you, your income, your investments, your wallet, are you living for God's glory to build his house? Are you living for God's glory with the things that you're blessed with? What are you doing with it? The thing is, there's not a ton of things in Scripture that we see saying this is exactly how you need to use your money. But there is a lot of principle in Scripture. And it's that we do everything, all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, everything within us, we do it for the love of God. And so as you think about your finances, are you embracing God's economy? As you spend your money to help bless and raise your family, are you doing that for God's glory? Or are you doing that so you look good? The, the thing is, there's not like some rule of, well, if you get this income amount, this, this amount of money needs to go towards your home. And so there's not a rule about, well, you can't have a house that's $500,000. You can't have a house that's a million. You can't have a house that's more than 150 or else. There's no rule like that. Because God blesses people in different ways fiscally. And as he blesses us, he then gives us this principle of, hey, I want you to use what I've given you for my glory. It's not a rule on investing, but it's a heart thing. Is this for the glory of the Lord? Is this to build his kingdom or my own? And it doesn't mean give all your money to the church. It includes giving back to the Lord in that way, but it means using your money to bless those around you for his glory, right? And so we see them starting to walk in obedience and start, starting to steward their time for God's glory. Financial stewardship is a matter of the heart that's built on the principle of God's economy that says use God's gifts to you for God, his glory, and his kingdom. Have you been embracing God's economy in your life? Have you been caught up in the way of the world? Haggai the prophet saying, hey, people of Israel, reject the way that the world's thinking and glorify God. Is that what you're doing with your finances, your resources? Let's read verses 14 and 15, and we'll see the final rhythm of godly stewardship with our resources, and it's keeping in step with the Spirit. Verse 14, it says, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, 
And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Israel's remnant was given clear instruction in what to do with their resources. And they had walked in disobedience for a good while. God invites them to walk in obedience again. They start to do that. And as they start to do that, what do we see? The Lord says, I am with you. And what do we see beyond that in verse 14? The first number of words, it says, and the Lord stirred up the spirit. He stirs up the spirit of the governor. He stirs up the spirit of the priest. And he stirs up the spirit of the of the whole remnant, all the people that had come back from Babylon. He stirs up the spirit. I believe this is the Lord having his divine presence within people. In the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit is present, it's in a much more uh, momentary way. For us now, as believers, if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, ever since Acts, we're, we're, we're following after Christ with his spirit in us. As over the Old Testament times, that they didn't have that same access to God. But we see here, that they do, says the Lord stirred the spirit of his people. This was a divine pushing of his people. And as he pushed them, what does it say? It says, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. God stirs the spirit of his people so that we would be faithful stewards. It's a marker and a sign from God saying, I'm with you. As we have his spirit and live out of an overflow of his presence in us, that's a sign that God is with us. The Spirit of God leads people to steward the resources that he gives. And so as we steward our finances, yeah, we got to reject what's going on with what the world says. we got to embrace God's principle to do things for his glory. But we also have to keep in step with his Spirit. His Spirit guides us and leads us into truth. New Testament says that very clearly. As we walk in the Spirit, we get understanding of how to live. We can see this in Galatians, sorry. In Galatians 5, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our everyday guide for stewarding well. And the reality is, there's there's a million ways that a Christian can live with their finances. Right? There's so many different things we can do with our money. We can say yes to to giving to this thing that's going to bless those people. We can use this last paycheck to help our, our children feel loved in this way and in that way. We can choose to, to pay for our, our kids' education and do that to the glory of God. But we also can choose to not pay for our kids' education and do that to the glory of God. The question is where's is the Spirit leading? And so we have God's principle, which is to glorify him, but we also have his spirit, which is the way that we can discern, what do we do, Lord, with what we have? And so are you keeping in step with the spirit to have discernment in what to do with what God has given you or or with what you've earned through the work that you have? It's not black and white as far as what to do with each dollar, but it is black and white in the lens that we look through. And so there's two principles that we can see here in Haggai. Financial stewardship is a matter of the heart based on two principles. One, living for God's glory while building his kingdom. That's, that's where it's about embracing God's economy. We, we got to be doing that. But secondly, it's living in response to where the spirit stirs and guides us 
as decisions need to be made. So it's so important that we're walking with the, the Lord each and every day, keeping in step with the Spirit, a heart sensitive to Him, so that we can have discernment in what to do with our time, our talent, our treasure. Because if we're not walking with the Lord in that way, day after day after day, our default is to just think, hey, what do I want to build my kingdom? So we have to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Financial stewardship is a matter of the heart based on two principles, living for his glory while building his kingdom and living in response to where his spirit leads. So this morning as we close our, our, our time here in Haggai 1, what are we walking away with? I think we're walking away with this question, this command, really, to consider our ways. And so consider your ways. Consider how you've been living. Consider where have your finances been? Consider where has your attitude been towards your resources? Consider where your faith is even at. Right? I think there's probably some in the room, if we were interacting with each one of you, and we had this conversation, of, yeah, you following after the Lord, I bet there's some people in the room who are seeking after God, but maybe not in a relationship with Him. Or maybe you're real skeptical of Christianity, and you're just checking it out because you could, or somebody invited you. So part of considering your ways, if that's you, is saying, like, yeah, actually, I might be in one of those first two categories, I'm either ungodly and rich or ungodly and poor. And for you, I believe this text is calling you to make Christ king. God wanted his people to build his house so that they'd be in relationship with him. And the Lord's given us life so that we'd be in relationship with him. And for some of you this morning, maybe you're in that category of ungodly, apart from God, not walking with him. And if that is you, like, that's okay. Everyone who is a Christian now, at one point, was also ungodly. And so don't feel like, oh man, he's calling me out. I was ungodly. And then the Lord did a work in my life. He invited me into his family. I was adopted. I got a new name now in Christ. And so if you've been running after wealth, or your own pleasure, or your own kingdom, I believe Mark 8 is a place for you to sit on this morning. Mark 8, Jesus says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? and forfeit his soul. Worldly riches, security, and pleasure lead to temporary satisfaction and eternal darkness. Let's not forfeit our soul to just get our kingdom here on earth. And if that verse seems harsh, we have other passages in scripture to be encouraged. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. To those who are ungodly, find comfort and rest in Christ for the first time. For others of you in this room, you'd say, Oh man, I'm, I'm either godly poor or godly rich. And man, I, I love being in this relationship with God. But maybe for you, you've, you haven't been rejecting the world's economy. Maybe you've been caught up in spending on you for the glory of you over and over and over again. And maybe you spent the last 15 years just self-investment. And to you, I believe the Lord's calling you to, to reject that lifestyle. There's uh, a three-step litmus test that I made up. So uh, hopefully it's helpful, but this will be on the screen here uh, in a second. And so if you're thinking through, man, have I been living for my glory or God's glory? Here's just a real quick way to run that out. And so you have your yearly household income, whatever that dollar amount is. Write that down on a piece of paper now. You can do it later. What's your yearly household income? Subtract the amount that would qualify for this decision to use that amount of money for the glory of God. 
right? And this, like your mortgage can be included in that. But think through, man, if I was honest with myself and I, if I had a mentor who was talking to me and they were saying, hey, tell me, like, like, what does it look like to use your money to the glory of God? What is that amount? And subtract that from your yearly household income and that's gonna help you discern, man, how much am I maybe overspending just for me and my wants so that I, so that I can have a little bit nicer SUV and, and kind of be a little bit more classy in this thing, in this community, this subculture, Think through, have you been living out of the world's economy? And if so, this morning, if you're following after the Christ, surrender that, confess that, in turn, repent, in turn. Paul's words to Timothy, again, were, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. Maybe this morning you've been wandering because you've been falling into the temptation to just get what you want and build your kingdom. Surrender to Christ, that sin, and say, yeah, actually, I want to make some adjustments and make those adjustments. And if you're in here this morning and and you'd say, I'm not in that first category, like, I I know that I'm godly. I'm I'm not in this category where I think that I'm spending all my money on me and and I've been about myself. Maybe you're in a position where you're like, yeah, when you're talking about uh, money can be scary, that's where I'm at. If you're here this morning, the economy is difficult, Right? Inflation is real. Houses are expensive. And if you're in a spot where where money's just hard and scary and you're confused or you're a college student and you're like, man, like taxes, what does that mean? Like, what do I do with that? And if there's stuff where you're just like, I just don't get it. Like, I'm ignorant in many ways in life. Be humble. Admit if there's some ignorance there and say, yeah, I just want to learn and grow because I'm in a tough spot. Maybe I'm in $3,000 of debt, credit card debt, because I just didn't know how that all worked, and and now I'm behind, and I still have my monthly bills, and how do I pay for those if I'm already in debt? If that's you, just surrender that to Christ. He he offers the people of Israel an invitation still, right, to, to be living for the glory of God, and say, yeah, I'm trying to do that, and so look for some counsel around you. Look for some people who, who can redirect you, encourage you. Start researching things online, just saying like, like Google, how do I live to the glory of God with my finances? Like move forward from ignorance and just learn and grow, right? Chris preached on education not too long ago. How do we steward our education to the glory of God? Like he wants us to be growing up in him. And part of growing up in him is, is living in the world that he's given, right? And so if you're in that place and, and if you're, you're, you feel like your marriage is at stake because you just keep button heads. And my wife and I, like, we, we get in arguments. We have tension over money. If you're in that spot and you feel like it's costing your marriage, don't let Satan get a foothold. Like, Satan wants you either to be in a marriage and unhappy or not in that marriage anymore. But what the Lord wants is us to be unified. And so if it's been hard, be honest with your spouse. Say, yeah, it's been hard. And then invite people into that. God wants us to grow. He's not expecting you to have it all figured out. He's a compassionate, loving God. And he's just saying to you, consider your ways and move. Keep in step with the Spirit. And so God has a design for what we do with our finances. Let's be people, let's be a church who surrender to Christ, just believing that it's worth it to reject what the world's telling us to do. We believe it's worth it to embrace God's economy, his principles, And let's believe that it's worth it to keep in step with the Spirit, be in His Word, be in His community so that we can be guided.
right? Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word and your, your guidance that you had for the, the people of Israel. Uh, I pray that we would be honest in, in the ways of our life that we need to consider. God, we do need to consider what's, what's going on with the attitudes that we have. We need to consider what actions we're making. And so, Lord, I, I pray that your, your hand would be in this room helping us better live to steward our lives for your glory, God. Humble us, center us on you, and God, would we not get caught up in every passing desire of the world, but no, let's, let's get caught up in a love for you that, that leads to a lifestyle of godliness, even with our finances, even with our resources, God. And for those who are struggling in their marriage because of finances, I, I just pray that you would do a work in those households, that there would be just a softening of hearts, and that you do a work in their lives, God. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.